Girls, the podcast where the Shadow Girls get together to talk about stories, storytelling, folklore, fairy tales, all sorts of wonderful stuff. I am Emily. I am Deirdre. We're also joined by some snoring doggos. Mimi is snoring behind me. We've got a third human as well. But I'm just going to munch away today and listen in. <laughs> it, it, it's a good season for cinnamon. Yes, <laughs> we've got some cinnamon Ikea rolls. And I've seen bejeweled pumpkins everywhere, so cinnamon and pumpkins is a... Yeah, yeah. Definitely October. Actually, my, uh, my pumpkin outside matches our theme today because we are continuing to talk about Cinderella. Yay. And I'm halfway through making a Cinderella pumpkin carriage. Oh. Yeah, it was my, my little sister's idea of like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we carved it as a pumpkin? So I've, we've hollowed it out and now we need to like stick lots of jewels on it because I like sticking jewels on things. <laughs> and also, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, was there a skeleton of mice next to it as well? Yes, because I had some little plastic mouse skeletons and I was like, well, it, the, you know, they turn the mice into the horses. Yeah. And I don't have actual mice, but I've got these mice skeletons. Which, if you want me saying, are they seem bigger than your average yeah, they, mice, so I mean, they could handle. They, they might be rats, coverage. really, but yeah, but it sort of it, you know ties in the Cinderella to the spookiness because it is also October. Yes, it is. It's coming up to coming up to Halloween, to Samhain, and just a, a quick plug for what we do in the rest <laughs> of our life. Deirdre and I are involved with some other wonderful people in the Leprechaun Museum doing a Samhain show called Veiled, and the. The podcast of the Leprechaun Museum just went up where we were talking with the director, divisor, grand controller, make the thing happen, of Veiled, Alice Bellamy. Um, the absolute doers of doers. <laughs> yeah, so if you're in Dublin, um, close to Halloween, check it out if you want to hear what is an immersive theatrical tour. Also, check it out. Just a little pluck for the Leprechaun Museum. And not only that, our dear Emily also recorded that podcast with Alice and a few friends of ours as well. Uh, so. Nisha's there, Nisha who haunts the basement. Indeed, and Nisha who's very good at telling very inappropriate stories as well. He doesn't tell a, an overly inappropriate story, he, he tells the story of Finn becoming leader of the Fianna. Yes. Which is a good, a good Halloween Samhain story. But just before that he was telling us a fantastically inappropriate story about Manon MacLear and the trickster. Oh, was this the one with the stick and the, the hair? The stick and the, and the hair and the couple and the... There's just one bit that is actually appropriate. He shows up and sit to a feast and says, Guys, I can do a magic trick. And he says, I can put three straws on my fingers and only blow the middle one out. And so he does that. He places three straws in his palm then puts his two fingers on the... One's on the edge and goes... And the middle one blows away. And the guy stands up and says, I can't do that. That's easy. So he puts the three straws in his palm and he goes to put his fingers on the two on the outside... And his fingers go straight through his palm. Whoa. And man is like, see, it's not that easy. <laughs> and then there's another one. He says, I can wiggle one ear without the other ear wiggling. We're like, okay, show us. Holds onto one ear. Holds onto the other ear. Wiggles one ear. And the guy's like, oh, anyone can do that. And they go to do it. And their ears fall off. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that's, that's totally not related to what we're talking about today. <laughs> When it comes to the likes of gods and Suede Bannon and various and stories that seem to make no sense, they seem to be the best stories that we love to tell sometimes. Oh yeah, and Manon MacLear is a, uh, he's a weird character. Oh, he feels like a jack of all trades sometimes, he, but he's got the finesse to pull it he, off. He sort of is, he sort of alternates between just being like this random trickster guy being, ah, it was me all the time, <laughs> to, no, I am the god of the sea and I'm going to go and do some really important stuff. 
He gives me Angus Old vibes because he just appears whenever he wants to. Yeah, that is a thing with the, the two other Danon gods. They do just sort of deus ex machina. Not even deus ex machina, just I'm bored. <laughs> Entertain me, mortals. <laughs> Sorry, but back to Cinderella. Yes. So we have... Our last episode we were talking about Cinderella. We were telling some Cinderella stories. But there are so many Cinderella stories and Cinderella style stories that we thought we'd, uh, we'd do two parts. And in the intervening time, I was just saying this before we started recording, ContraPoints, the fantastic YouTuber, uh, if you haven't watched any of her videos, go look up ContraPoints YouTube. She has just released her latest video on opulence, which aesthetically is beautiful. There's gems stuck to everything, which, you know, my pumpkins are now covered in gems. The opulent, opulent. But she was talking about the aesthetic of opulence and this sort of like, it's sometimes seen as bad taste, but also sometimes just looks really good. Like stick gems to everything, cover stuff in gold, mm. uh, glitter all over the place. Walking into a drag queen's wardrobe. Yeah, sort of this, <laughs> this rejoice in the material, the aesthetic, but how particularly in like hip hop culture and things, there's very much use this rags to riches, uh, like we start at the bottom, got to the top, and that this is a version of like the American dream. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, pulled myself up by my bootstraps now, a millionaire. But also that for this narrative to work, it has to be very focused on the individual, that you're not, you know, overthrowing the system. Everyone else who was in the gutter with you is still in the gutter. You're now just at the top. And there's sort of almost the pleasure of, well, now I'm the only one at the top of the pyramid. And that got me thinking about Cinderella. Because Cinderella is the, you know, the most well-known rags-to-riches story. Uh, she starts in the cinders, she ends up as the queen. But we tell the story and it's sort of seen as like, oh yeah, well, you can do it, you can rise from the bottom. But Cinderella doesn't overthrow the system. She doesn't change it. There's still other, other Cinderellas who are still stuck in the cinders. But by perpetuating the story of Cinderella, this one one girl who made good by, you know, scrubbing and letting the, the positions of power be in the positions of power. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. That's okay. I agree with you. It's more yeah. of the definition of working smart and working harder because you can scrub and scrub so that fireplace is spotless for that awful, overbearing stepmother. But, it, but it, she still had her wits to... No, to uh, hide when she needs to hide, and then appear when she needs to appear. Yeah, but it is still the the. It's saying, oh yeah, the um the system of power is unjust. Mm -hmm. But it's saying, but you could be at the top of this unjust system, rather than let's overthrow the system and change it. So it, it's not Cinderella getting all the other Cinderellas together and them all rising up and overthrowing the monarchy, which would be fun. That's the Cinderella story I'd like to hear. It's Cinderella becoming the queen, becoming the princess. Now she is the one in the power who can command birds to rip out her stepsister's eyes. You are just going to take a back seat today, if I might pop in actually, and I don't know if this is because I've been busy week, but I think like the way that I'm seeing it right now is that it's almost like one of those stories that sort of says, oh, you know, even if you come from a low background, you work hard, you be good, you behave yourself, you never know what might happen. And it seems like a good way of keeping the... Um, I'm sorry, but it seems like a good way of keeping the proletariat in order and, like, yeah. you know, working away. I, mm, yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. It, it's propaganda. No, yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry to ruin that whole thing. No, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that that and that was just a way I hadn't thought of looking at the story, but I thought I'd, I'd bring it to the discussion. 
is Cinderella capitalist propaganda? Yeah. Because actually when Cinderella sort of first became the literary version we know, which was the 17th century France with Charles Perrault and all the literary salon thing, that was also the time when the middle classes were starting to rise. Yeah. When, you know, capitalism as we know it today, well, it sort of like could have been seen as starting post-plague Middle Ages, but it was really getting underway. Mm-hmm. And when uh, you think of opulence, it is France at that time. Yeah, it is. Louis XIV. Louis XIV? Anyway, the Sun King guy. Yeah. And it's the opulence, but that... It, it's interesting that this story of trying to keep the working classes down with the promise of, well, you might end up as a princess, became so popular at that time. That's a tangent. Now, I, that, that's what I love about when you find certain stories and you can put it into context of the mm-hmm. time, because it's going to add so much more to it than just, ah, it's just going to be a wee tale that we share to the children before they go to bedtime. Mm-hmm. But then when you go into the context and into the historical time frame of it, it really does reflect that period and tells the story within that very yeah. And his version has the um the, the ugly stepsisters, well they're not ugly, they're beautiful in that. But they are they get off reasonably lightly. Cinderella sort of forgives them and they go on and they end up being married off to other members of the nobility. Mm-hmm. But then you get to the Grimm's brother who are hundred years or so later, who are around the time the Industrial Revolution is really kicking off. Yeah. And the story becomes so much more violent. Yeah. With the sisters getting their eyes plucked out and mutilating their feet, and I, I sort of, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it does seem interesting to me that the the violence of the story shifts at the same time that the economics of the world was shifting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's doors opening and closing, and Squire has decided he wants to go investigate. <laughs> there's um, there was a book I was trying to track down for today's podcast, but I couldn't find it. And And it's an Angela Carter book. Um, Now, Angela Carter has brought out several different books about retelling of fairy tales Mm -hmm. or or her not necessarily modernising or feminist look at fairy tales because she never liked that description. It was more of her way of telling these stories. Mm -hmm. The famous one, of course, is Billy Chambers, but Cinderella-esque stories aren't quite found there. But there's one that has on the cover of it is The Little Red Riding Hood. And Mm -hmm. in this, she does a version of Cinderella. Oh. And there's a few excerpts. Angela Carter is just, oh, I love her stuff. But what I like about her retelling of it ties in what you're saying there yeah. is because I haven't got the full text in front of me, which is frustrating me, to see how her retelling of that story, the story in her way, how the time she had basically done her own version of it, how that influenced her telling of it as well. Because it's got to be more a focus, of course, of female heroine mm. can do it on her own and she's the queen of DIY to do it herself and <laughs> yeah. get through it all but if there's there's moments that you don't realise because at the industrial time it's kind of like children are forced to do some nasty stuff yeah. for, the, for the likes of just being able to basically help the family out and when you put cinders in the context of that as well it kind of puts the idea of anybody could be in that boat but it's um it's still the idea of sure, it's only a happy ending if everybody is like as opulent or has the wealth yeah. and the riches like by the end of Actually, on uh, modern retellings, literary retellings, Deirdre O'Sullivan, uh, Irish writer, brilliant Irish writer, she released a book, was it, I think it was a year ago or two years ago, uh, Tangleweed and Brine, which is her God. retelling of a number of classic fairy tales. And she has a beautiful style. It's sort of, she writes a lot in the second person. Yes. Which is unusual but it sort of evokes this almost surreal dreamlike you are in the story but the first 
story in that book is her retelling of Cinderella. And Cinderella doesn't go to the ball. Cinderella has been planning and run, Cinderella runs away uh, because she doesn't want to be kept as a precious jewel. And in it she has Cinderella. The reason that the slipper would only fit her is Cinderella is very, very small. Yeah. The, the illustration for it shows her sort of stitching up her sister's gowns and she's having to stand on a stool because she's about the height of a child. Which is an interesting, to me it's an interesting thing of, she is something, she describes herself as being something very small, something easily overlooked, but something very precious. Yeah. Uh, like a diamond. Diamonds are small, but diamonds are sparkly. I go on a little tangent about oh, that book, if that's okay. Yeah. That book will always be special to me because I was reading it the day I broke up with my boyfriend. Oh. Um, it was one of those days when you're just kind of like, okay, I need some time to think. I read the book and I was like, yeah, I'm a princess. I do this. And she's actually brought out a second version of that oh, book. Oh, I know the paperback had come out. But yeah, I didn't... the paperback. Now, Tangleweed and Ryan, the hardback edition is pink and red. Um, but she did come out with a second edition of it that's a, a softback that's a blue cover but I think it's got an extra um, Sleeping Beauty story or a oh. version of Sleeping Beauty story at the end as well but it's uh, her stuff in it is divine and her illustrations off the top of my head I can't remember who illustrated I'm, the book I'm going to google who illustrated it um, but it has a vibe of Harry Clark uh, stained glass style windows um, now I don't know if they took inspiration from the likes of Clark himself but the illustrations in it are divine, and it's a really is a fairy tale book that you need. It is this just utterly beautiful black and white ink illustrations, and they they actually did two two launches for the book. They did the, the launch for the book, which Deirdre Sullivan's launch, and then they did a launch for the illustrator, who is Karen. I'm I'm terrible with names. Karen Vaughan. Karen Vaughan, who is the illustrator, and so they did two launches. And the books, they, the illustrations, they are very sort of Harry Clark, Audrey Beasley. That black and white ink, very strong, and sort of these lovely little details in them. So if you're looking for a Christmas present, or a present for yourself, highly recommend Tangleweed and Brian. I wanted to cry the dogs looking at the door for you. Yeah. <laughs> Bun and Squire are just snuggled up between Deirdre and Georgia, and Squire is sort of almost upside down and looking a little bit like a bat <laughs> just getting it's snuggled it's a very weird dog sandwich right there we have on the sofa yeah. <laughs> they have no concept of personal space so they just lie on top of each other I love it. Oh, yeah. if you could mind me there was something I wanted to bring up on the last Cinderella episode mm. if that's okay now it's one of those sort of like clickbaity virally articles mm. that popped up on Facebook about a few weeks ago mm. I don't know if you heard about it about um, an American woman she's a bit of a cosplayer and things like that but she's also uh, she has lost her arm from birth oh. and so her and her husband did a photo shoot and it was for a costume competition but they did in a Cinderella inspired uh, costume photo shoot oh. where she sewed by hand her own Cinderella outfit wow. her husband who was a marine was her Prince Charming oh. and instead of, of Prince Charming finding the glass slipper it was a glass hand oh um, in out the was it so it was started because her daughter at the time was doing a project on cinderella in school and she always says how come there's never princesses that look like me yeah. of course why not answer the question yourself and do it yourself and so she spent about 60 hours making her cinderella dress she sewed the prince charming costume that was about 30 hours of work for her and a designer by gilbert lozano designed the um the glass the hand um that would actually sit in 
Oh. And they did this series of a photo shoot of her with this glass hand. And the way she just has this really gentle expression on her face and the way she holds it. And of course, her Prince Charming holds Cinderella. Oh. But she was going to bring it apart, do it as a part of a competition. But she decided because she couldn't enter it, she was just going to show off the pictures anyway. Yeah. And from then, I don't know if she had a cosplay background yeah. as such, but then she started up her own thing called uh, Be the Spark Cosplay. So she's been dressing up as different characters. Oh, so nice. characters like from Mad Max, because there's that character, I can't think of her name, but has um, a missing arm in Mad yeah. Max. And she's just really embracing it. Yeah. And because she's been doing the likes of costumes and sewing for years upon years. When we were talking about Cinderella last time, I was thinking, oh, I forgot to mention the, the glass arm. Yeah. And it was a re- it was just a really nice moment because it was, uh, yeah, it was just so right. But actually on the glass thing, uh, anyone who watches QI will know that the, the invention of the glass slipper came from a mistranslation because it is this this very iconic thing of the glass slipper but it was originally a fur slipper a squirrel fur slipper uh, but when it was translated into I think into English they just got the translation wrong and they put it down as glass and from this accident we got this image of the glass slipper which it's a very poignant image because you know walking on glass something that is so beautiful but is so fine and so delicate but also Walking in a glass shoe must be very dangerous. Which actually Angela Carter did some translations of the French fairy tales. And there's a paperback one where the cover is it, it's a woman's foot and she's wearing like a glass slipper. And yes, it's a, that's the Jack Zipes preference. Uh, yes, yeah. that's the book of yeah. And it's, it's 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 very striking because it's this beautiful glass slipper shoe. But Cinderella's foot mm-hmm. is very bruised and dirty. And it's the hard skin. Yeah, and there's a the hard skin the, and the calluses. Yeah. So it, it's just a very poignant image. Oh, I, oh, that's the book I've been dying to get my hands on. Yeah, I think they have in Hottest Figures. Do they? Oh, I know exactly yep. where I'm going. <laughs> okay, exactly. There was, um, when I was actually trying to look up reviews of that book, because mm. I couldn't get my hands on the ebook because I'm not prepared for books, um, I found a uh, an article that brought up a, uh, a very short version or a short retelling mm. of Cinderella from, was it the 1920s? Yeah, yeah it's uh, Claude's Kuhn's, C-A-H-U-N, um, and it was written in 1925 and not previously translated into English. Oh. But the description about the guy and his love of shoes, <laughs> it just caught my eye. Ah, yes. Okay, so, my very wise godmother, Madame Fairy, to whom I confess my desires, came to my rescue. She knew our prince very well. Long ago, she'd even attended his baptism and revealed to me the curious particulars by which he could be seduced. Ooh. Uh, he had a passion for women's shoes, touching them, <laughs> kissing them, letting himself be walked on with their charming heels. And in brackets, pointed heels with a scarlet tint, so they looked as if they were splattered with blood. Ew. There were the simple pleasures he'd been looking for since he was a child. The ladies at the court would not satisfy him. Awkward and timid, yeah. at least they would ruin the air to the to the throne. They wear house slippers, and fearing he would lower himself to kiss their feet, they raise them with all the signs of respect to his mouth, with his, which is august but bitter, unyielding to smiles. What this royal lover needs is a haughty and dominating mistress, with hard heels and no pity, the one I could be, me, the one who understands. <laughs> that, is yeah, that is fantastic, and yes, yeah, Cinderella Foot fetish. Yeah. I, I want to read that book, that's, that version of the story. I was going to say something, but I've forgotten. Oh, yes, um, on sort of 
that is kind of erotic retelling, I discovered from the 70s, of course it'll be from the 70s, there is a musical porn oh, Cinderella. Oh my god. Oh, like, yeah. I, I I haven't seen it. I I, I did look. I, I wanted to see what's a musical porn? Do they do, are, are there musical numbers and then they do the stuff or is it at the same time? Uh, but I found some like little bits and reviews and stuff and it looks ridiculous. But it's not the slipper that fits. Yeah. Oh Jesus. Yeah, it's yeah. Um that uh, the um the prince I, again, he's a prince with particular tastes. Mm -hmm. So rather than a ball, they host an orgy. Oh, and the fairy godmother—it's it, not a slipper she's given. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, this actually—you know—this is going to sound weird, but that sounds very familiar. Did you get a name of it? I think it's just Cinderella, the musical porn film. <laughs> yeah, weird. Uh, but there's loads of film versions. Your your mother actually tweeted us with a, a film yeah. version of Cinderella, which I haven't managed to track down I, yet. No, I haven't had a chance to look through it because I was away and I'm um, sort of, uh, yeah, I'm really just getting back into things now. So um, I will have a look. I actually, you know what, my brain is failed me. Was it Hungarian? I think it was, yeah. It's Hungarian and it was one that she remembered watching as a child. But she said it was actually, she when she was looking it up to try and find out what it was, she was so excited that it was in colour because they only had a black and white TV. Oh, um, but it was wonderful. I can't tell you the storyline now, so we'll have to like yeah. link you guys to yeah, it. We'll but it, she it. was a much more assertive sort of Cinderella. Yeah, yeah lots of disguises. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Well, on more assertive Cinderella, that's a nice segue. There are two, as we mentioned in the last one, there's sort of two branches of the Cinderella story, the Cinderella A and Cinderella B. And Cinderella B falls into the category of donkey skin. Oh, yes. And I'm going to tell you donkey skin. Now, there's a number of different donkey skin stories. There's donkey skin, multi furs, uh, the princess in the leather suit. I that would that prince would probably quite like a princess in a leather suit. <laughs> and she Emily just looked at me very quickly when she said that, and she was like, "Is that towards me or the character?" I just wanted to say, conversation for another time. Indeed, indeed. But donkey skin. So this is this is my version of donkey skin, which is sort of a weird amalgamation of all of them. There was once a king, and this king, as many kings do, had a wife, but his wife sadly died. But as his wife lay on her deathbed. She made the king make a promise. For she had had a daughter, and she heard all sorts of stories about what happens to princesses with stepmothers. So she made her husband promise he would only remarry if he could find a wife who was as beautiful as she was, was as kind as she was, and could fit the magic wedding ring that she had been given. So the king, of course, promised his dying wife he would not remarry unless he found a bride who was as beautiful as his first wife, as kind as his first wife, and could wear the magical ring of his first wife. The queen died, time passed, and the advisors began to tell the king that he really should remarry. He only had one child. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But much as they searched, they could not find a woman of the right specifications. This one, she was as kind as the first queen, but she wasn't as beautiful. Oh, this one was definitely as beautiful, but... Oh, she wasn't as kind. This one, she was as kind and she was as beautiful. But the ring didn't fit. They searched high and they searched low. And then someone noticed that the king's daughter was now a grown woman. And she looked exactly like her mother. She had all of her mother's mannerisms, all of her mother's kindness, all of her mother's intelligence. And so someone decided to see if the magic ring would fit the princess's hand. And lo and behold, it did. The king, but well, he decided this must be fate, telling him to marry his daughter. 
So he went to his daughter and said, daughter, it might be a little bit unorthodox, but I think we should get married. The daughter began to think and said, okay, um, well, if, if I'm going to get married, I'm going to need uh, the proper wedding trousseau. So I, I need a number of gowns. First, I need you to make me a gown that is, that is as black as night, but studded all over with shining stars as bright as the stars themselves. And so the king went away and the princess thought, you'll never make a dress like that. But then he did. The dress was indeed as black as night. All over it, there were diamonds that glittered just like stars. And she said, well, okay, that's one dress. Um, I also need, I need a dress that is as, as, as fresh as the dawn, as light as mist, with all the colours of rosy-fingered dawn. And the king went away and it took him a long time. And she thought, he'll never find that dress. But he did. The dress, it was light as gossamer. It floated like the mist. It was all the colours of the rosy-fingered dawn. And the princess said, OK, I've got the two dresses now, um, but I need the wedding dress. You know, this one needs to be as bright as the sun. It needs to be more striking than the moon day sun, more dazzling than sunlight itself. The king went away. And she thought, wow, he really has some good tailors. So she went and she found a donkey. Now, the king of this kingdom had one very particular donkey. This donkey could ship gold. Yeah, I don't know where this bit comes from. Emily cursed. I know. <laughs> and the king came back with the dress that was as bright as dawn. As, sorry, no. The dress that was as dazzling as the sun. And the princess said, well, now I have all of my wedding dresses. The last thing I need before we can get married is a cloak cloak made from that donkey that ships gold. The king thought, no, this is the final outfit. You're not going to come up with another one. She said, yes, yes. Thinking, well, he, he wasn't going to give up the source of all his wealth. But he did. He had the donkey killed, skinned, made into a cloak. And he presented it to the princess and the princess said, well, I've got all my, my clothes. You, you better go get the priest for the wedding. And when the king went away to arrange the wedding, the princess packed up her dress as black as night, her dress as fresh as the dawn, her dress as dazzling as the sun, dressed herself in the donkey's skin and escaped to the palace. She ran as far as she could. She ran to another kingdom and then to another and then another. She ran until she felt she was so far away, her father, he couldn't follow her. And her skin, which had been soft, had grown hard in this travel. Her nails were long and ragged. The only thing that she wore was the donkey's skin. She was not going to take out those dazzling dresses and draw attention. And so people assumed that she was the lowest of the low. And the only job she could get was as an under scullery maid in the palace of the king, where the cruel cook ruled over the kitchen like a tyrant and would make donkey skin scrub and wash and sweep all night and all day without rest. But donkey skin thought, well, <laughs> better than being forced into marrying my father. So she kept silent and worked away. Now, after some time, the prince of this kingdom returned. He'd been off on a grand tour or receiving some form of education, but he returned and his parents decided, well, it's time for their son to get married. They must find him the right bride. And so they searched and they couldn't find the right bride. The prince, he was, he was always trying to find something else to do. He really didn't want to get married. So they decided, well, we'll throw a ball. He has to attend, and you never know, he might find the woman of his dreams. 
So the ball was arranged. There were going to be three nights of dancing. The palace was all in a tizzy. Even the servants were going to get to go and have a few dances themselves. And Donkey Skin, when the kitchen was quiet, started to boil a pot of water, took off her donkey skin and washed. She washed away the grime of the kitchen, the ashes, the soot, the greasy dirt that didn't have a name. And when she was clean, she put on her black dress. Her dress is black as night. And she went up, and she didn't speak to anyone as she walked through the ballroom, but the prince saw her. And he thought, wow, that's an amazing dress. And just as he was about to speak to her, she vanished. He had everyone search for the woman in the black dress, the dress as black as night, but no one could find her. The next day, everyone was talking about the mysterious woman in black. Would she appear again at the second night? And when the kitchen was quiet, Donkey Skin boiled up a pot of water, washed herself, and put on her dress that was as fresh as the dawn. And she walked again amongst the crowds, and everyone marvelled. thought this must be a fairy who'd come to join them. And the prince, he managed to get in a dance, but when the dance ended, he was going to ask her, Who are you? But again, she vanished. And everyone thought, Who is this woman with this amazing wardrobe? The prince, though, he was sick with love. He refused to eat. Any time he was about to put a piece of food in his mouth, it was, oh, but it was... He couldn't live up to the dream of the beautiful woman. And Donkey Skin had a bit of an idea. She managed to persuade the cook to let her bake some bread. She baked the bread, and into one of the loaves she placed the magic ring. The ring that had been her mother's. The ring that would only fit a certain hand, and she placed it into the loaf that was going to go to the king. And the king cut open the loaf at the table and thought, oh, this is a ring. It's very odd, this isn't a barn brack. But the prince, he recognised that ring. He took it, he held it close to his heart and said, oh, this is a sign, my love, the beautiful woman with the amazing dresses, she will come again tonight. And it was so. All the palace was in a wait, wondering when would the woman appear? Would she wear black? Would she wear white? And she appeared in a dress that glowed as bright as the sun. And she walked up to the prince. She took his hand. She took the ring. She looked at it and she slipped it onto his finger. And it fit his finger perfectly. Then she disappeared. And the king, well, he said, we have to find this woman. They searched high, they searched low. The prince went around with the ring, the ring that would only fit his finger and her finger, because this ring could change size. They searched high, they searched low, but no one could fit the ringer. The ringer? No one could fit the ring. At last, when they had searched everywhere, they were down in the kitchen going, This is hopeless. We will never find this woman. This must be a phantom, a ghost who has come to drive the prince mad. And then a little voice said, <clears throat> You haven't tried it on everyone yet. And they turned. There was a there was an under-scullery maid, the lowest of the low. She, she seemed to be wearing some sort of donkey-skin coat. And she held out one grubby hand, a hand with nails encrusted with dirt, and said, If you really want to find her, you'll try it on every finger. And so they tried the ring on her finger. And indeed it fit. Donkey-skin took off her cloak and said, You found me. And I have at last found a man that I am willing to marry. And so the two were wed, and they lived happily ever after. And they didn't invite Donkey Skin's incestuous father to the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story is, you should feel like you can just say no.
<laughs> yeah. Also, you know, you should be with someone who you feel comfortable being in front of them in a donkey's skin. Yes. Yeah. You can't take me as I am. You're not taking me at all. Yeah. <laughs> there is a beautiful um, version of this done by Jim Henson's The Storyteller the series. Oh, yes. I've heard it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jim Henson and the puppet thing, they made this series called The Storyteller, which was a retelling of a number of different fairy and folk tales. Mm. And one of them is Donkey Skin. And it's a, it's a lovely mix of, it's narrated by a storyteller, but then there's also puppets and there's humans and it's like illustrations come to life. and It's beautiful. But in it, the prince keeps meeting Donkey Skin in her donkey form. Oh. and Or in her like bestial form. And they keep having chats and things. And... It's kind of lovely because it's like, oh, he doesn't know, but she knows, and they're getting to know each other, and they're actually forming a relationship, Aww. and which kind of reminds me of, what's the what's the Cinderella version with the sword fighting in it, Drew Barrymore? Oh, I oh, I think I know it's oh, Ever After. Ever After. That's it. Thank you, Deirdre. Yes. yes, it sort of reminded me of Ever After <laughs> because in it, the the prince and the princess they do meet beforehand and. The princess is a lot more assertive. Oh, I love that film. And she had the book that was her dad's, but then the mum put it in the book. <laughs> and Leonardo da Vinci shows up as the fairy godmother, because why not? And I just... Yes! Sorry. And yes, I do know this film. film as well. <laughs> as, the, as the evil stepmother. And yes. she's... Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, I do want to see that again. Sorry. It's just, yeah, when you said Leonardo da Vinci, and I was like, surely you mean DiCaprio? Wait a minute. Because <laughs> yeah, he gets her... Yeah, yeah, no, I don't want to give anything away. It's, it's we're a, doing a movie night. We have to oh, we do, we do. We'll live tweet it. Oh, there's so many good Cinderella films. There's also, have either of you seen The Slipper and the Rose? No, but when you were talking about the very questionable musical, mm. I thought that's the one that you were talking about. No. Because I kept on finding the soundtrack to that one. Yeah, The Slipper and the Rose. It's a British musical film version of Cinderella. And it's, it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's very dated in parts. But you can um, still appreciate it. But it's, yeah, and the costumes are beautiful in it yeah. uh, and it does have the whole thing of why are they having this thing they have, this, they have a song called a bride finding ball oh, which yeah. is a bride finding ball a bride finding <laughs> ball which is the prince who is not happy about this because the reason they're having the bride finding ball is they are a very tiny country surrounded by really big countries that would like to get bigger so they have to make a political alliance yeah. so that's the reason they have the ball thing and then it has the thing of afterwards of because there's a bit of a question like if the prince just marries a commoner who's been a scullery maid for a lot of her life, what does that do politically? So they do have this sort of epilogue bit, spoilers, where the king and the chancellor go to the princess and say, look, go to Cinderella and say, look, we, you are a really nice girl and we would, we would actually love to have you as the next princess, but we have to make an alliance. So you, have to, you have to break the prince's heart. Oh. And she sings this, this song like, tell him anything. Tell him, tell him I was cruel. Tell him I never loved him. Just don't tell him that I, I really do feel this way. Yeah. And she goes off, and the prince is heartbroken, and he puts her shoe on a pedestal, and he goes every day and sort of looking at her, going, "I will never find her." And is eventually persuaded to go off and, you know, marry for a political alliance. And the fairy godmother, it's a lovely little side note where the fairy godmother, who is, she's got a lot of princesses to deal with, and she's like, she's in her thing. She's like, "Got your hair is out, you." better finish this because I'm running out of stories to give you which is just a little thing I love yeah. and then she gets from I think like what Cinderella didn't marry the prince oh need to wish her off and it turns out they like I object at the wedding the cousin who is the next in line for the throne 
who is a bit of a fop and a bit of an idiot. He met the woman they're trying to marry the prince off to at the ball, and the two of them actually fell in love at first sight. So he just abdicates, right? Uh, so there, there is this moment of the thing of, those two are in love. Make the political alliance, make those two. And then the prince gets to marry Prince Char Cinderella and go off and stop having to be a prince. And the cousin oh. takes the throne and makes the political alliance, and it's beautiful. It is. It, there are also there's so many silly, silly songs in it. There's one about we must be protagonically correct, which <laughs> da, 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 da. and the, the prince sings a song with his best mate Dandini about how his life is so set out for him they even have his tombstone ready. Oh, and they're in they're in they're in the mausoleum singing oh ho ho. What a comforting thing to know. There's a prearranged spot in the family plot where my royal bones will go. This thing. It's. Oh my god. Right, turn off the podcast. We're going. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry guys. I love musicals. Sounds like a really good one. It sounds amazing. Yeah, The Slipper and the Rose. Highly recommend. So, do you have a story or some, some final words of wisdom? Uh, final words of wisdom? In the words of Revolting Rhymes by Raoul Dow. Oh, yes! You do not need to watch your Prince Charming decapitate people. Instead, you can be happy finding a jam man who makes very nice marmalade and makes you laugh. Indeed. And I think Raoul Dow is one of my favourite storytellers, yeah. if not the favourite storyteller. Oh, like, I love the Revolting Rhymes. Oh, they're just amazing. I'd forgotten that one. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. I was uh, I was reading through that, and there's a Sylvia Platt poem as well, but she was never actually quite proud of it because oh. it was what they were seen as like kind of before her. She sort of got into her stride. Mm. But when I read the poem about the decapitation and the marmalade, and I was like, you know what? If you find mm. happiness in a jar of marmalade. That's yeah. a good life. Yes, that's a good life indeed. So many Cinderella stories, and so many ways of reading into them. Yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah, and how it's completely transported, like you said before, you find it in some of the hip hop videos and how people describe their form of opulence. You have it as a sports term. You have yeah. it as so many films. Yeah, so and many you films. can take so many different readings of. Like you can read yeah. it as like propaganda if you're taking sort of a Marxist view that it's you know to keep exactly. the proletariat down. You can read it as you know work hard and prosper. You can read it as true love will triumph. You can read it as women's need for the, the domestic role and have her sort of slightly brainwashed in the Cinderella complex. Mm -hmm. uh, you can read it as a as a foot fetish story. <laughs> Many others. But oddly, as like growing up, it was never one of my favourite fairy tales. Nor me. Yeah, yeah. really. I, no. I think because the, that the version that I was most familiar with was the Disney version. Yeah. Where, I mean, I know in like the history of animation and the history of the Disney studio, it's an important film, but Cinderella was just so... Eh. I found it a bit lacklustre, but they're not, like, my favourites were Beauty and the Beast oh, and Mulan. Yeah. Like, oh. I needed nothing more. I, I feel like when you when you start watching the films when you're younger, you, there's this, this overload of all the princesses that you can get through. I remember talking to a friend once, and it took them, I can't remember what year Tango came out, but when you look back at, if you will, the classic tales that mm. you listen to, you're told stories before bedtime or just story that you found yourself as a child from the fairy tale books was that Rapunzel was always one of those big big stories and mm. the fact that Disney it took Disney so long to get Rapunzel as one of the princess stories yeah I suppose Rapunzel again it's a very simple story um but Rapunzel herself doesn't have a lot of character yeah in in a lot of like the basic versions in, uh, like Cinderella she doesn't have a lot of character 
which in some ways is like because then well she could be a self-insert figure um but it can make her quite a dull heroine mm -hmm. which is why in so many of the retellings and things they they almost completely change her they have to give her some characters something for us to latch onto yeah. some emotional core be it the, the drew barrymore cinderella where she reads books and she fights swords and she she's an independent modern woman in medieval times yeah. or going looking at more of the the emotional core of what would being in the situation do to someone yeah. or just going completely the opposite way and going she's a she's a would-be dominatrix and the prince has a foot fetish yes <laughs> what was the name of that story again oh well, it's um it's a four or five page version of it just on a side note, I really enjoyed Tangled. Oh, I yeah. really I, it that. has made me want, in the zombie apocalypse, to use frying pans yes. as my oh. weapon of choice. Yes. Actually, the nice thing about Tangled is Finn Rider the Prince has some personality. Yes. Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I already said, you know, Cinderella, she doesn't have a lot of personality in the Disney film. The Prince <laughs> has not, I think he has one line, stop, wait. <laughs> Which, like, we talk a lot about, you know, bland princesses. A lot of the princes in the princess stories, in the stories where we're focusing on the prince, the prince gets to go up and do things. But in the ones of the princess story, the prince is normally so dull. Yeah. It's like you just you're you're just at the ball. We don't even know how you got dressed. So I enjoy the the idea of that song you were mentioning, where everything is laid out yeah. for him. Because like I'll never forget. With I know I'm tangenting mm. here, and I wasn't taking anything apart. But the Narnia books. I yes. remember we had an audiobook of was it like a horse in his voice yes. or something? Is that this? So there were there were there were twins who were both princes, but one of them. Yeah, he was sent away for whatever reason. He was he, kidnapped. Yeah, but he returns, and the two, the two, the two boys bump into each other mm. and go, "Well, we look way too alike. We must be brothers." And <laughs> the one who's a prince proper suddenly goes, "Thank goodness you're back, because you're actually a few minutes older than me, which means you're gonna have to be king, so I don't have to be king. I'm <laughs> yeah. a prince." And that really stuck with me. That idea yeah. of the, the duty of it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's one of the reasons I left the slip in the rose because it it goes into the whole backstory of the prince and the royal family yeah. and the king and the queen and all the court. Are you allowed a personality if you had to hide it the I, whole time? From the I don't know. I, yeah. I think the part of being a monarch is being not on any particular side or opinion. Mm. I think that actually is one of the lines in The Crown. If anyone's been watching the Netflix oh. series The Crown, uh, I think the, the queen mother tells young Queen Lizzie, everyone else is allowed an opinion, you are not. Yeah. That is the hardest thing in life. Which, I imagine that would be quite difficult to have technically all this power, but not be allowed to say anything. Admittedly, when monarchs have said and done things, we've had some interesting situations. Mm, yeah, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Well, I mean, like, just the monarchy in this day and age, mm. like, it's that thing where people say, oh, you've got, they've got all the money in the fancy houses. And, like, I'm not saying that they're, they're not privileged, but, yeah, there's certain things that, like we have, sorry, I say we, <laughs> Republic, yay. But like, so British citizens have a right to. But the Queen isn't allowed vote, which is to me amazing. Ooh. The Queen of England can't vote. Also, though, I'm a little bit disappointed in, in Lizzie, if you happen to be listening. <laughs> the one big role that the monarchy has is to dismiss the Prime Minister. Yes. <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> to say, I have lost faith in this government. The last person mm. to do that was Queen Anne. Queen Anne of the favourite. Wow. Yeah, and it's like, if there's ever a time when you could be losing a bit of faith in this. I mean, there is so many issues. 
God, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, of the that same was as Mimi. Mimi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down the Brexit thing. Yep. Yes. Uh, final thoughts on Cinderella. Uh, what, is, what is your particular favourite Cinderella version, be it film, musical, oh, story? Good question. Theoretical reading of the story. Um, I still love the story of Small Head and the King's Son. <laughs> yes. I know that story goes on for years, but I just love how it was just over the top, but in a, such a good way. Um, how it was almost like a witchy Cinderella, but yeah. with the best of heart. And she was still listen to the voice of the grey cat who was the spirit of her loved one. Spirit of her mother, spirit of her stepmother. Yeah. No, not her stepmother, fairy godmother. For the mother. And, um, and, but still, at the end, she decided, look, I kept the promise, I married off with two sisters, there's a third son, <laughs> here, if I sort you out, will you sort me out, we'll just get married, and you'll set me for life. You don't make marmalade, but you'll do. Yeah, and she would make actually a, probably a good queen. Mm-hmm. She's good at solving problems. Yeah. And also biding her time. Nod and smile, nod and smile. Now, Georgia, do you have a, a favourite Cinderella, Cinderella retelling, Cinderella always, reading? Because I, I know I sort of enjoyed the Disney live action film a bit a while ago. But like, so I really enjoyed the have courage and be kind thing at that time when I was watching it. And I still do really admire that as a sort of mantra but I think it needs to be have courage be kind and lose your shit when you think that you should yeah yes. you know, essentially just to also stand up for yourself I yeah. don't know if there's a nicer way of turning that into have courage and be kind but also to yourself have but courage be kind don't be afraid to be brave yeah mm-hmm. actually that's very nice yeah that, that's nice. yeah <laughs> and what's Emily's oh um, well, I I love the donkey skin versions of Cinderella because she is a much more proactive character in it. Yes. She, I mean, she ticks the boxes for the Cinderella thing. Like there's the item of clothing having to fit, there's the going to the ball, there's the being in the sort of servant role. But she uses her agency and her choice a lot more, which I like. Um, and for film versions, I love the Slipping Rose. Yeah. It, it's very dated, um, but it is beautiful, and I I love the knowing the, the way they look more at what's the political situation, what's the role of the court and the king and the prince, and what's going on with all of them. And I love the scene where they're just singing around in a mausoleum. Could you go to stage that? I'd love to see that on the stage. Yeah. Oh, we have to find. There's going to be a list of these films we're going to have to track down. So if you have a favorite Cinderella, please. Get in contact with us. Tell us. Uh, but we might do like a, a live tweet movie night or something. Yeah, something will be fun. I'd love to find out what's people's favourite Prince Charming-esque story. Oh, yeah. Because we talked about this before, because they don't necessarily have the biggest, like, impact at times. But is there a moment where it's kind of like, actually, who is your favourite Prince Charming? Are there any who actually have a personality? I think, <laughs> I think one of the things is, like, with the, like, the Disney Cinderella, with her being quite bland, that she's a self-insert, I think maybe part of the charm of Prince Charming is you can project on yeah. your particular tastes or whatever onto him. It's very much a blank canvas. Yeah. Or maybe there is sort of a, a reassuring safety in that he is so just hello. Real chill, yeah. <laughs> he's not he's not aggressive, he's not pursuing her. He's he's very very safe. Yeah. Maybe there's a reassurance in that boringness. 
I'm down that rabbit hole with you, George. I'm down that rabbit hole. Next time, guys. So if you've liked the video, the video. <laughs> if you were filming, <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, if you've enjoyed this episode, please uh, you can rate, you can review, you can subscribe, you can uh, tweet us at Tales from the Shadows. You can sorry, no, you can tweet us at Tales Shadows. Yes. You can get in touch with us on Instagram, Facebook, all that jazz. Send us a pigeon. Oh, pigeons! Pigeons, oh, pigeons at pigeons at Tales from the Shadows. We also have a Patreon. We have some lovely patrons. Thank you, patrons. Thank you. Um, we're Tales from the Shadows on Patreon. And if you have suggestions for Cinderella films, Cinderella stories, or fairy tales, themes, things you would like to hear us talk about and go on wild tangents, please, we would like to hear from you. We want to go on the tangents for you. Yeah. That's what we're trying to say. <laughs> the tangents will happen. At least you can direct them. Yes. So much. <laughs> yeah. So I've been Emily. I've been Deirdre. I've been Georgia, I think. Yeah, the dogs have been the dogs, and hopefully the slipper fits. Goodbye. Bye.